Amen. Hallelujah. How's everybody doing? Good? Did you have an okay week? It's okay to raise your hand if your week was a little rough. I mean, I think considering the world's circumstances, we've all sort of been through it. And I think as a collective, we should all just take a moment to breathe because where we are is away from the world. We're with each other, with believers. And I think it's important, especially today, to focus on that. So do it with me. Ready? One, two, three. How many of you felt the breath go in and the breath go out? Yeah. In a world like today, it's really easy to get overwhelmed with all the negativity, all the things going on that you can't control, and you start to maybe wonder, what's the point? It feels hopeless because you sort of think, well, I take care of my family, and I try to do well by others, and I try to walk out my faith, but it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed and to lose your sense of purpose. And I think that that's at the very core of who we are as people. We are a purpose-driven creation. And God made us that way for a reason. And today, I want us to go all the way back to the beginning, to basics, to start from scratch, from the blueprint that God gave us in Scripture, so that we can energize and encourage ourselves that we're doing what God has told us to do. And doing more than that is outside of our control, and so we shouldn't be overwhelmed. Focus on what matters. And so if you all would turn with me to Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 26. We're going to start where our Messiah started, and that's with his mother Mary. So it talks about that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled and at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, How is this since I'm a virgin? And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We have a story of someone unsuspecting is impacted by a visitation from the presence of God. And it's not unlike our own salvation story, unaware when God greets us in the midst of unknowing who he is. And God comes to you, and maybe you heard a preacher speak, and they gave a great message, and it was very compelling, and your heart was moved, and the Holy Spirit convicted you, and you knew right then that Yeshua was who you needed. Mary was visited by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then began indwelling within her, and the presence of Yeshua was within her. Now, as the story goes on, she goes on to carry Yeshua and to give birth to the Messiah for all of creation. Before that moment, there was a lot of unsurety. You know, when you talk about sin and you talk about eternal life, that's what Yeshua came to claim for us. 
And so we as his people are that vessel. We are to take the presence of God, the very essence, the testimony of Yeshua, his salvation and his promise of redemption for eternity with us into the world. And God has equipped each and every one of us differently. And it's a beautiful thing because the light of God can refract differently inside each and every one of us. And you might think to yourself, yeah, I mean, I'm good with people, but I'd really like to sing on stage with the worship team. Or I'm so good with children. However, I really would like to have a career where I've got all of these great things going and I have a life. But God wants you to remember that there's a difference between your expectation and his plan for your life. That you can't get so focused on the tree that you forget the acorn. That at some point you've got to begin walking with God if the dreams you have are to ever be realized. That's the whole point. The purpose of our life is not to do for ourselves. The purpose of our life is to do for him. It's for his glory. And if it's not, then it shouldn't matter because all the rest of it is gonna be taken care of anyways. We'll spend so much time focusing on what could have been, what should have been, that we forget to look inside. So we have here that there are parts in scripture that talk about how do we walk out this purpose of bringing Yeshua to the nations. And I was reading the story about Moses not too long ago when we were talking about the Passover. And there was something that really stood out that I think applies to what we're talking about today. And so if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter three, uh, verse one. And in this story we have, Moses is encountering the burning bush. And it says, chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. I love this story. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush not burned? We're going to pause there. Moses was doing what he always did. It's all he knew. And as far as he was concerned, that's what he was going to do for the rest of his life. And how amazing is it that God comes and interrupts what we expected the rest of our life to look like because his plan is going to supersede our expectation. How often do you have a plan for your life or a thought for your future and you begin to think, is this all there is? Is this really it? Because when I thought that I began to walk with God to carry his testimony to the nations, it was going to be much bigger. And so you get sort of bogged down in the thought of, I guess this is it. So I'll just go through the motions. That's what Moses was doing that day. He was just going through the motions, taking care of what he needed to, but daily life. And In your daily life, I want you to be looking for moments where God is setting things on fire to get your attention. Is it a relationship that needs you to mend it? Is it somebody that is 
down and needs you to encourage them because that's how God begins to produce in you what you're going to use to bring his testimony forward. And so Moses was walking and he sees a bush that is burning but not consumed and he does a really important thing. He stops and he turns. Or if you're a fan of friends, he pivots. And he's standing there and he's looking at this bush and he's thinking to himself, I probably didn't sleep enough last night. I don't know what's going on. And it wasn't until that Moses stopped what he was doing in his every day, stopped and turned his face to God, which is important, that God then spoke. That's how we are required to approach our king. You are required to stop what you're doing and to turn your entire being toward the king. That is when he will speak to you. Sometimes you could say, I don't hear the voice of God like I hear other people say they do. I sometimes read the word. I, I pray when I really need to. You know, you know those prayers where you're like, Lord, I really got into it this time. And uh, if you could send something like to help me get out of this, you know, then I'd really get right with you and things would be great. But for right now, I'm going to need like an emergency evacuation. No. God calls us to be in his word and in his presence every single day. This isn't optional. Either you're walking your faith actively, it's a verb, or you're standing still. You're either moving forward or you're regressing. And so in your moment of regressing, if you decided that reading the word and praying and seeking his face isn't a priority, then I would challenge you to think, why then is when you need him the most supposed to be priority? It's not that he won't listen to you, but we're talking about an active participant relationship with the God of the universe. And isn't it enough that he gave his son for you? Isn't it enough that he made you that every time you draw breath, it's not on your own accord. It's from him. And so with every breath that he gives you, you should return with gratitude and praise and faith and thanksgiving and say, this breath doesn't belong to me, but I'm going to proclaim your goodness to the nations. This heart doesn't beat because I want it to. So I'm going to use every heartbeat to affect the world for you. Like the bush, we are supposed to be on fire for God without question, yet not consumed by the world. So in your day-to-day, -day, you need to remind yourself, am I walking how I'm supposed to walk? Am I speaking how I'm supposed to speak? Am I thinking how I'm supposed to think? Taking every thought captive and comparing it to the truth of God's word. Letting everything that comes out of your mouth know that it comes out of the abundance of your heart. And where your heart is, that's where your treasure is also. So as a people, we need to get back to basics. We need to put our focus where it needs to be. Take it off the world. Because you're not going to find your strength. You're not going to find your confidence. You're not going to find security in looking external. God's relationship with us right now is in this temple here. It's not in a building. We could be meeting in a park right now, and God still would dwell with us with his presence. So he's not constrained. But it is our choosing whether or not we allow him to flow through us to accomplish his work. 
because we are his hands and feet. And God's not impatient. You hear stories all the time of someone who didn't start ministry or start really walking with God until they were much older. Do you think that matters to God? It doesn't. So for those of you who are discouraged to say, well, you know, I'm this age and I really thought I would start doing what I'm supposed to do when I'm much younger, and you get discouraged and say, I've lost time, I've lost effectiveness, I've lost everything. God is saying, you had to go through that season of crushing or pressing or maturing to say so boldly before the Lord, even if you don't do what I feel that you've called me to do, even if you never open a door, even if you never give me the opportunity that I think you're telling me is going to happen, I'm going to praise you anyways. I'm going to be grateful for every breath and every moment with those that I love. I'm going to be grateful for the small moments, the moments where I bought food for a homeless man, the moments where I prayed with someone who was sick and needed encouragement. His presence is found in the little things every day. And we've got to start paying attention and to start showing gratitude for the life we've been given. And so the story goes on that Moses is told by God what he's to do. You know, Moses thought he was working in his purpose this whole time. And God said, no, 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 come on. We need to have a meeting. Come on over here. And God asks him, to take off his what? His shoes. Because often in life, the smallest things, things that we're very familiar with, things that we don't really pay attention to anymore because we've always had them, get between us and the Lord. And so God is calling you to put down distractions, to put down fear, to put down anxiety and worry and say, take off what separates you from me. Because it has no place. And if you're going to walk on holy ground in the presence of God, you have got to take off what separates you from him. And I promise you, the things that separate you from God, he didn't put them there. God calls us to walk a life of faith, to put away anxiety, to not live in fear. Because we are called to fear God only. And it's in those moments where your faith is on the line, you have nothing else left to give, and you have nothing to hope for or in except for him. And that's exactly where he wants you. Because our life, our ability, and our strength is not our own. No matter how much you want to say, oh, I just have to work out or I have to plan. How many of us are planners? I love me a good list with check boxes all the way down. And even better, when they're all checked off. <laughs> but you know what I do? I don't sit there and think, oh, got all that done. Whew. Okay. Because <sighs> it's a mental exercise to get all that done. I mean, the physical is there, but it's mental. Like moms can, can understand. It's a lot up here. And we get to that point, and I always am like, okay, when I get the check box done, then I'll sit down. How many moms sit down when the list is done, or do you make another one? I mean, come on, we are getting in our own way before the Father. How are you supposed to come into rest in Him and peace in Him if you're constantly making up stuff to do? I mean, 
We've got to make priorities. And if he's not first, front, and center in our lives, then you're missing it. You are missing what he has come here to do, what he sent Yeshua here for. And so when we're exploring, like, what it means, like, the first things you've got to do is, what's your prayer life like? When you really look at it, you know how you have that notification on your phone that says, your screen time is up 34% this week, or down 10% this week. That one makes me feel guilty every time it comes on, because I strive every week for that not to be the case. I would love for it to be like, good job, you spent zero time on your phone. But how often do we make ourselves busier with things in hand? When God is asking us to put it down and instead put your hands together and give it to him. And so we have got to get our prayer life straight as people. We have got to get our time with him, our time in the word. Because how are you supposed to combat the enemy if you don't have the word hidden in your heart? If every time a fear creeps up or a doubt creeps up and you don't have that verse that says, you will take every thought captive then how are you supposed to prevail in this world? God has given us everything we need right here. But if you're not reading the user's manual and you say, oh, I don't need instructions, and you try to put the, a piece of Ikea furniture together by yourself, it doesn't go so great. You know, it takes a lot longer than it should, which can be the case in our lives. If we resist the basics, things are going to take a lot longer. God's not worried. God's outside of time. So he really isn't worried if it's going to take you 5, 10, 15 years. Because not only is God patient, he's very strategic. And you can think about the story with Jonah, where Jonah was like, good one, Lord. You want me to go where? And say what? You know, as a person, I really like to be liked. How many like to be liked? It's a good feeling. It's natural. And so when God pushes you out of your comfort zone, do you balk? Do you resist and say, mm, nope, you must have the wrong Lauren. Nope, see, there's, there's one over there. Yeah, we look a lot alike, but mm, nope, sorry. I'm going to wait on the next bus. Just am, because you know what? When I'm comfortable then all of my issues of being human go away. I'm no longer fearful. It's much easier to trust. It's much easier to just allow things to be. But God wants us to be pressed and crushed and made for his glory. Our life does not belong to us. And especially after you accept the sacrifice and the salvation that Yeshua provided, your life does not belong to you. And how arrogant do we have to be to say, you know what, Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. It's awesome. Feel good on Sundays. But I'm not going to trust you in this. I can't. But thanks anyways. You know, it, they go hand in hand. If you're going to receive the greatest gift that was ever given, trade it. Trade the presence of God in your life for fear and for doubt and for being unsure of the future because God knows and God is sure of the future. And in this story, when God talks to Moses, God says, who are you? And God responds, 
not with I was the I am, I was the father of your ancestors. He doesn't say I will be the father of your descendants. He responds with I am, which is present. And in every moment that we walk through, God is present. He's right there with you. And you have to take whatever is controlling your thoughts and controlling your heart and your mindset and pivot and directly face the one who can help you handle all of it. In moments where things are overwhelming and you say, okay, I've got my prayer life, I'm devoting prayer, I'm devoting time with him, I'm in the word daily, and it's helping, and I feel like God is calling me to do something. And then you hit a wall. Because the enemy, just as well as God knows you, the enemy knows your triggers as well. He knows what buttons to push, what fears to activate, what things that'll say, hmm, well, you know, they're doing really well. I wonder if I could give them a health scare. The enemy can't kill you, but he can make you freeze to where you're walking, things are going great, and then someone you love got sick. Now what? You're distracted completely from what God has called you to do because you are overwhelmed and consumed with their future. That's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to walk boldly and to proclaim his truth and to pray over those that are sick, anointing them and praying through the Holy Spirit for their healing. Because if you won't believe by faith, like Yeshua encountered in the scripture, the full faith of your friends have made you well. That's your part. You're shirking responsibility just because you're afraid. And it's so easy to do. It's not that it's a knock against us, but it's where your mindset really comes into play. What kind of preparation have you made for moments like these? What scripture is running in your mind and stirring in your heart to encourage you to say, you don't know the future, but God does. He knows the end from the beginning. He's got it. Because if the enemy can make you worry enough, he can make you essentially go through a bad situation twice. You've worried yourself to death before you've even gotten to the point, and then you get to the point, and you're like, oh gosh, I've done all of this thinking and worrying, and I'm here, and, and you're all up here in your head. And God's calling you not to fear, and he's calling you to breathe and to say, trust that I know what I'm doing. And even when you can't see, I've got this. And so you have these moments where you say, this is a big situation. Am I enough? How many of you wonder that? I do. You get into moments where you feel like you've just stepped off the pool deck into the deep end. And now you don't know what to do because, well, you forgot your floaties. And God is saying, no, I never called you to walk off into the deep end by yourself. You did that. You ran ahead. You worried. You got consumed with what the world was telling you instead of being still and silent and recognizing that I am who I say I am and that never changes. Who God is doesn't change based on your life circumstance. It doesn't change based on your finances. It doesn't change based on your family dynamics. 
He is constant and present and loving and faithful. And praise God that he is because in those hard moments, it's our faith that falters, not him. And so there's a part of scripture where it talks about if we're enough, then what do we do? And so for that, let's turn to Mark 6.35. And in this part of scripture, we find that Yeshua has been preaching, and it's the story of feeding the 5,000. And there's a big crowd, big, big crowd, overwhelming crowd, and it talks about that it says, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. This is Yeshua. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is late. As in, we got nothing, and it's late, and people are getting hangry. And you know what happens when people get hangry. Well, a crowd could turn into a mob. So the disciples started to focus on their fear a little bit instead of the faithfulness of the Messiah that was standing in front of them. And they said, uh, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. As in, let them take care of themselves. That way we don't have to. You got people in your life that it feels overwhelming what they're going through, and sometimes you want to be like, sorry about you. You know, we don't have the greatest relationship, so I feel like this is yours. You can handle this. When God is calling you to restore that relationship and to help them. And he said, uh, okay, you give them something to eat. And Yeshua said, you have what you need. Give it to them. And the disciples doubted and they said, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Again, they said, Let's go away from our source, our Messiah. Surely what we need is somewhere over there. And we just need enough money to get it. Just need to buy enough so that you feel better on the inside. You just need to have enough things so that you finally feel secure. When God is saying, everything you have, I've already given you. And it's your relationship with God that reveals that so that you know you have it. God has equipped you and fashioned you and molded you and knit you together in a such a beautiful way. But you ignore it because you can't see it. You're looking out here instead of in here, asking the Lord to reveal what he's made you to do on this earth. Some of you, you have a book you need to write. Let's get real for a second. Some of you have relationships you need to restore. Quit waiting on the other person to do the work. Some of you have songs that should be written. Some of you have blessings that you have that you think are not enough, but they need to be poured out for the kingdom because our life, again, is not our own. It's for his glory. Gosh, I can't imagine. Okay, I've done this in real life, but when you read it and you think they're standing in the presence of Yeshua and they have the audacity to say, well, they could take care of themselves, right? They're all capable. 
let the moms and dads take care of the kids. They could get their own food. And Yeshua says, you feed them. That's action item number one. And then they say, well, that's good in theory, but what if we got money? And we had money take care of our problems. We could buy enough food, bring it all back. We have a picnic. It's going to be great. Promise, it's going to be great. Yeshua, we know what we're doing. And he said, give them something to eat. He says, how much do you have? He says, go and see. And they found out and they said, five loaves and two fish. And in this circumstance, there was about 5,000 people. And some say that they only counted the husbands or the men. So it's possible that there were quite a lot more people there than what they let on and that they had them divide into 50 groups roundabout. And so you're looking out at this massive crowd and they're like, you sure about this? See, I don't know. I mean, they're looking at what they have and doubting that it's enough. And how often do we get into a place in our lives where we doubt that who we are as people is not enough? That's like looking to the Father, like the disciples looked at Yeshua and said, I don't have enough. You look at the Lord and you say, I'm not enough. It breaks his heart because why would God create you to be incomplete? And then his completion of whatever you're lacking as far as salvation and eternal life, he gave to you anyways. So he's not only created you with breath and life and function and being, but then he's given nothing short of everything for you. Everything. He's given you everything. His life, his heart, his entire being came to walk with us on earth to teach us how to walk. He's given us everything. And you want to turn to the creator of the universe and in your pity party and in your doubt and in your unsurety say, after all that, after all you've given, after all you've sacrificed, without being asked, mind you, he loved us first and say, I'm not enough. Talk about heartbreak. How many of you have children that you would die for? That you would give everything for to see them happy, safe, secure, and without want? That's but a small, small fraction of what God's heart is to us. And with everything he's given, he then expects us to do something with it because the rest of the world is hurting and they're lost and they're needing him and he can't get to them unless you're going to be his hands and feet. They may never hear of him unless you go. So we have the disciples and they're faced with a big situation. Little, little tiny, tiny plate of food. And it technically wasn't enough until they placed what they had into the hands of the Messiah and he blessed it and broke it. And before you knew, everyone was eating. Everyone's happy. Everyone's doing a happy dance. I don't know if any of you get really hungry. Maybe some ladies out there can identify. And you think, oh, it's my favorite food in the whole world. Okay, chocolate cake. Yes, okay. So you finally get a moment where it, you can't have your kids running around 
You really ideally would have your favorite show on on Netflix, and you're by yourself, and you stand there, and you start eating, and you start doing a happy dance. I believe that's what they were doing because they had already been fed spiritually from Yeshua. And then here comes in the food. And so I believe that that's a huge part of ministry, that if you're going to minister to someone about the love of God, you've got to act the love of God. You can't walk up to somebody and say, oh, you're going through a hard time. You're financially strapped. You're needing help with your kids. You need work on your house. You're not feeling well. I'll pray for you. It's only half of what we're supposed to do. If you can, make food for them. If you can, offer to watch their kids for an hour so they can sleep. Lord knows that's gold currency with moms. And do it. Walk out your faith. Walk out your purpose. Be the hands and feet in action in real time. So we come to the most important part of our purpose. And that's when you have accepted Yeshua as your Savior, you then have responsibilities like I talked about before. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36, we're going to learn about one of those. There's a lot in scripture. So after today, I would encourage all of you to dive into the scripture and find examples of who and what God called you to be and where he told you to go with it. So 22 verse 36 says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. When we are loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might, we don't have any time to focus on the things of the world. You just don't, because the second you stop, you think, oh, I'm not acknowledging God with every breath. I'm not seeking his presence for every thought. Then you become distracted, and God is saying, set your sights on me and let me handle it. So we are to love the Lord with everything we've got, because we have been given nothing short of everything from him. Everything has been from him. We have so much to be grateful for, that we are to return everything we have for his glory. And then the second part says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you are doubting that you're enough, bring that before the Father and have him show you how that is a false lie from the devil. Because that's how the enemy gets you to freeze and gets you to doubt and to downplay your role in the kingdom. Because if you can't love yourself, how can you love the people around you? It's not possible. You're going to say, well, I don't think highly of myself. I then don't take good care of my temple. I don't eat well. I let depression and anxiety consume me. Yet somehow you're going to pull yourself out of that deep end and show unconditional love to the people around you. It can't work that way. You've got to be a person who is seeking God and loving themselves first before you can fulfill the second greatest commandment. And then in Matthew 28:19, we have the Great Commission. 
And it says, now the uh, 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love that sign off from Yeshua. There's so much in it where he says, okay, now that you know what to do, I've been here for a while now, and you're recording what I'm saying, and this is going to be going forth to the nations, you have a responsibility. I've given you everything, so take it and run, because the nations need to know what you know, because the heart of the Father is to reach everyone, not just some, not just Baptists or just Messianics or Catholics or, you know, those who figured out the new moon and those who figured out flat earth are not like, really? We are all his children, no matter how we walk. And he loves us all equally. And he's calling us to take what we know and to share it. God is not selfish. So if you're going to pour yourself into a vessel, and then that vessel refuses to pour out into someone else, then you move on. Like, if you want to be used of God, you have got to put yourself to a higher standard and be responsible physically, emotionally, mentally of your actions, your word, and your speech. Because you could affect somebody's life without even knowing it, and you could cause them to shy away from God's love. Because if they don't know what God's love is, but they see the testimony through you, are you like the bush consumed by the world? Or are you on fire for God and yet not consumed by the world around you? God didn't even speak to Moses. He set the bush on fire, and that alone drew Moses to his presence. So how many of us are striving every day to say, even when I don't speak a word, even when I don't take action, God, in my thought, in my heart, in the way I'm being and walking without saying a word, are they seeing you in me. Because if not, we need to go back to basics and start over again. Because the presence of God should be consuming you and flowing out of you with every action and movement that you take. That is how you win the nations. That is how you win the person next to you who may not believe. It's with unending, unconditional love pouring out of you, not from you, but from God. And you've got to get out of your own way and get out of your own head in order for God to move. Because the world is dying. People are dying. They are leaving this world without eternal salvation, without a relationship with Jesus. And this is the most critical part of our life that we should be focused on. Not what pants am I going to wear today? Or not what are my kids going to do for homeschool this year? Which... Okay, but God is calling us to put aside everything of this world that would weigh us down and to pursue him with a full heart because it's only walking in that that God can move and expand. That's the only way because if we don't base our faith on him and his promises, then somehow we're inserting bricks of our own making into this wall 
And then we wonder why later where we're like, ooh, that foundation doesn't look so sturdy anymore. That's because you've built a foundation either completely on your own or it's mixed with the things of God. We have no place getting in the way of God. We have no... This is so important. We have no right to stand in the way of someone else's experience with the presence of God because of our selfishness, because we let our humanity get in the way. We are called to lay down our life, to crucify our flesh every day so that God might shine forward. That is our purpose right there. Now, God will use you in many different ways because we're all gifted differently. And that's a beautiful thing because you could reach someone that another person could not simply because of how God has made you to be. So go back to the beginning. Go back to the basics and start from there. And until God says move, you don't move. Until God says turn around, you don't turn around. Until God says keep going, you don't move. You stand still and you witness God's salvation. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We give you all glory and honor in this place. And we praise you for the lives that are here. Father, help us to turn aside from the fears and worries of this world. Help us to understand how important it is to crucify our flesh every day, to get out of our own way, Lord, so that you might be seen and heard in every way that we work and operate in this world. Lord, and when we find it difficult to do so, Lord, help us to be still and to wait on you. Let us know that in those seasons when it's difficult and when there's a crushing going on, Father, that you are trying to bring out of us the very best that you've already placed within us, Lord, but it's that relationship with you that reveals it. God, we bless you and we give you all the glory. In Yeshua's name, amen. If we could all rise, please.